The scripture reading was from Judges chapter 4, verse 1. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel did again evil in the sight of the Lord. As we begin this morning, as was uh, mentioned uh, during our Bible class here in the auditorium, uh, it is a busy day. Uh, There are a whole lot of uh, events going on. Uh, First and foremost, uh, today is a wonderful day to worship our God together. And it is wonderful uh, to see each and every one of you. I know we have several guests today and we are thankful that you're here. We are thankful that we can glorify our God, sing praises to His name, sacrifice, and to show love toward one another. Second, today is picture day. It's the day where everybody seems to uh, want to get sick, but all of you who are here, I see a lot of smiling, beautiful faces who are ready to get your pictures taken, and I'm so thankful for that. We have, after morning services, four of our members who are great at uh, photography. Uh, I believe they're all setting up somewhere outside, probably a few different places, so that uh, we can have uh, uh, not just a static singular background, but a few different places around the outside of the building. I don't know a lot about photography, but I know that outside is always better. Um, And today, it is a sunny day, it is a warm day, And we can be thankful for that. So please be prepared for that. Uh, And again, uh, until about 1 o'clock this afternoon and then uh, at 4 uh, p.m. to 5 p.m. for those who are not able to this morning uh, uh, to be able to to have that opportunity again. And then 5 p.m., light post training, be here. We're going to put it up on the screen. You're going to see what it's like, how to use it, what benefits it's already brought here to our Graber family, and how it can be helpful in a lot of different ways. Uh, Please be here for that. It will be well worth your time. It will not take the full hour. Uh, And so you will have a little bit of time, a little bit of a break before we start our uh, evening uh, services, uh, but please remember to be here at 5 for light post uh, introduction, training, all of that good stuff. Uh, and as I'll mention again, um, I am not Andy. Uh, unfortunately, he's been feeling under the weather. I hear he's starting to be on the upper uh, uh, part of that. But uh, allergies hit everybody hard, and sometimes they decide to do other things and just hit hard uh, with uh, uh, sinus stuff. But we can be thankful that uh, he is starting to feel better, and uh, I am thankful to be here uh, this morning. Uh, We are not going to be uh, this morning continuing our uh, I Am series, if you were wondering about that. Lord willing, we will do that at another time. Uh, But this morning we will be in the Old Testament. Finish this phrase. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. What happens though when there are no tough available to get going? What happens when men are so unfaithful When all the people are so cowardly that there's nobody to step up. 
What happens when those who are called leaders hide behind every rock that they can find and in their own lives have deep moral problems? What happens when the entire nation does evil in the sight of the Lord after a leader dies? That is how Judges 4 opens up. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud dies. What happens when you have a situation like this? Well, sometimes, sometimes you get a Deborah. What we're going to do this morning is look at Deborah as a woman of God and praise her for the good qualities that she has. But before we get to Deborah, there are two items that we have to address first. First is kind of getting the situation for the book of Judges. It's kind of one of those that we know it's a dark time, but we don't really know all that much about it. Or at least I didn't uh, until some years ago and really digging in. But we also want to get an idea of what's going on specifically in Judges 4. So as we begin this morning, let's jump straight in talking about the book of Judges. It really is a dark time in Israel's history. The prophet and leader Moses is long gone. Joshua is now dead. And the land that they finally entered into has been conquered but not fully subdued. There are pockets of resistance that have been allowed to thrive. And because of this unfaithfulness and failure on Israel's part, there would be a period of over 300 years of some of the darkest times in Israel. About 1367 to 1043, if you like to write numbers down, B.C. And when you look at the book of Judges, there are a few key ideas to keep in mind. Number one, the judges themselves. Many of these judges are not necessarily the high moral heroes that Hollywood would make them out to be, but they are God's tools of deliverance for a people who have been disobedient. More about that in a moment. Number two, item number two, the cycle what has been noticed, and rightly so, noticed in the book of Judges, is that there is this circular cycle that's going on. There would be a faithful generation that would die, and a generation would rise up not knowing God. They would turn away from Him and serve, often the Baals, serve other gods and turn away, and God would send an enemy to subdue them. And then after a certain period of time, sometimes 10, 20 years, God, uh, they would cry out to God and God would uh, send them a deliverer, a judge through whom uh, God would deliver his people after they cried out in repentance. And then that generation would die and another generation would raise up and the cycle would continue. And as you read through the book of Judges, it's not just a cycle going this way, but it is a spiral going down out of control. The further you read, the further disgusted you're going to get until you get to the last few chapters of Judges. And it is atrocious what happens in the last few chapters of Judges. 
But if you're a keen eye, you will notice that the only name mentioned in the last few chapters of Judges is the grandson of Moses, which means that 300-year period was that bad at the beginning of the period. The book of Judges is a dark time in Israel's history. We have to remember that cycle. Third, some repeated phrases to keep in mind. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Chapter 2, 11. Chapter 3, 7. Chapter 4, 1. Chapter 6, 1. Chapter 13, 1. It is repeated that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Another incredibly insightful repeated phrase. In those days, there is no king. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges 17.6 for an example. The sheer amount, finally, before we jump into our context. If we're to keep some ideas in mind, remember the judges themselves are not morally perfect. They're not necessarily morally upright in a lot of ways. But also remembering that cycle and remembering those repeated phrases, we also need to remember Just the abnormal amount of deaths in the book of Judges. Judges, more than any other book in the Bible, has a just massive amount of strange deaths. Just to name a few, and remember, these are just a few walking through the book very quick. You have Ehud and Eglon, where a Left-handed man with a handmade weapon and some very gruesome details killed an evil man. We're introduced uh, in chapter 4 to Ehud's death. He killed Eglon. And it was a very uh, gruesome kind of way. But it was very strange when you start reading the particular details. You have, besides Ehud, you have Shamgar who would kill 600 Philistines with an ox goad. An ox goad was a tool that was designed to simply goad the oxen along to make sure they're going the right way. It wasn't really a good weapon for war because it was just a tool to prod these oxen along. And you have to wonder, was that one battle or in the time of Shamgar, as he was walking along goading the ox, he saw a Philistine and went and then just kept going. I mean, you don't know. But 600 deaths with a farmer's tool. That is strange. You have J.L., who in our text would kill Sisera with a tent peg and a hammer. You have Gideon and 300 men who would blow horns and shout a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And they would shatter a bunch of pots. And what that would do was that would turn the entire army that was much more massive than them against each other. And every man's weapon was against his neighbor, against each other in the army. They didn't really have to fight all at first. They just blew a horn and shattered some pots. That is an unnatural strange way to cause a whole lot of death. You have Abimelech murdering his 70 brothers on one stone. You have Abimelech who himself was murdered with one stone. You can call it poetic justice, but we remember as he didn't want to be remembered, he was killed by an upper millstone that was thrown by a woman over a ledge. 
strange deaths. Samson would tear a lion in half, kill 30 men in the town of Ashkelon for their clothes, kill a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey and himself die while uh, 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 killing everyone in a household full of enemies by pushing over pillars. You have the Levine's concubine, shall I say more? Strange and unnatural and horrible deaths. It ought to make you stop and ask, how did things get this bad? It really was a dark time in Israel's history. But light sure does shine brightly in the darkness, and when God offers salvation, He delivers. Let's get the setting of chapter 4. Notice verse 1. Again, the people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Do you know how tempted I was this morning when I was asked, what's the scripture reading? And I just had you read verse 1. How I wanted you to read this Harosheth Hagoyim. That's hard to say. But it does give us the context of what's going on, just these first three verses. The Israelites are in need of salvation. Uh, a northern coalition of Canaanites uh, united under the king of Hazor, Jabin, uh, he, he controlled six of the northern tribes, basically, what's going on here. Now, Again, history, 150 years earlier, Joshua had burned Hazor, Joshua chapter 11. But the city had been rebuilt and they have come back with a vengeance. Jabin's control was in large part thanks to his brilliant general, Sisera, who is leading. And this oppression was not brought simply by a foreign invasion, but one whom the Israelites had failed to expel from the land and the land was oppressed for 20 years. 20 years. Could you imagine 2020 for 20 years? The land was oppressed for 20 years. People dying of famine and starvation. People under slavery. 20 years. The location, it's 10 miles northwest of Megiddo, if you're a map kind of person, and they had 900 chariots of iron. Israel had zero. Outmanned, outgunned, and outpositioned. There was absolutely no coming out of this unless God himself intervened. Let's talk about the main people. You have Jabin. He's just a shadowy figure. He's never seen. He's only powerful and threatening. And he's the king of Canaan who reigned in Hazor. You have Sisera, his general, who is doing all the heavy lifting. You have the Canaanites who are enslaving the Israelites under Sisera's stewardship commanded by Jabin. And you have Jael, the woman who would kill Sisera, you have Deborah, who we'll talk about more for the rest of our time. You have Barak, 
Hebrews 11.32, I love, it's a very preachery kind of passage. Time will fail me to tell of Gideon or Barak. But the main person, the main person in this text is God. Again, just notice how often he occurs. Verse 1, again, the people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 2, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of uh, uh, Canaan. Look at verse 3, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Look at verse 6, she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Notice uh, uh, verse uh, 9, jumping down to to verse 9, you have, and she said, I surely will go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Jump down to verse 14, and Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Look at uh, verse uh, 15, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. In verse 23, so on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan before the people of Israel. By the way, chapter 5 is uh, a song about chapter 4, Deborah's song. And it's a song that describes a great and terrible thunderstorm that seemed to have come. Not so good for heavy chariots. You got some strange deaths happening even before the tent peg. God is the one who they sinned against. God is the one who they cried out to. God is the one who promised to deliver. God is the one who delivered. But he used people. He used servant-hearted people who were living in a time full of death and discouragement, of darkness and disease, of sin. Think about Deborah. She is introduced, verse 4, now Deborah, a prophetess. Her fourfold work, number one, she is a prophetess. You know, there are only four times in the Bible where we read about female prophets. You have one before this with Miriam, sister of Moses, in Exodus chapter 15. You have here this time with Deborah called a prophetess. You have far later into 2 Kings 22, this is during the reign of Josiah, the last good king in Israel, Huldah. In the New Testament, you have in Luke chapter 2, Anna. And in Acts 21, you have Philip's daughters. Now, if you're going to be counted among a faithful few, that is a list that every lady would want to be on, isn't it? To have Miriam or Huldah or Anna, Philip's daughters. But these women, in a very unique way, again, four times in the Bible, 
Deborah was a prophetess. But second, Deborah, not only a prophetess, is a homemaker, the wife of Lapidoth. And again, it really is a strange way to introduce somebody in the Bible, especially if it's a woman, just this is how the text normally goes, and you have Lapidoth and his wife, Deborah. Or Deborah is the key here, the main character, and maybe it says something about Lapidoth and his character. But notice that she is not just a prophetess, she's a homemaker. The wife of Lapidoth. She did not feel like her position of being a prophetess took her out of this position of being a wife. That says something about her. Third, was judging Israel at this time. She's a judge. And again, you start thinking of all the people in the Bible who are named judges, and then the list gets incredibly narrow when someone is a judge and a prophet. Samuel? That's a short list. Does the Bible have a negative slant toward women? Absolutely not. To put her on the same kind of ground as Samuel. She was a prophetess, a homemaker, a judge. And jumping very quickly to chapter 5, notice verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and the travelers kept the by, uh, to the byways. Notice verse 8, when new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? But notice verse 7, the villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. She's a prophetess, a homemaker, a judge. She's a mother to Israel. When the highways were abandoned, when the villagers ceased, when new gods were chosen, they were serving the Baals, and then the response is Deborah rising up as a mother in Israel, a mother who was needed at just the right time. Thinking about her character, Notice verse 6. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Ahinoam, from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you to go and gather your men at uh, Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun? And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Notice again in verse uh, uh, 14. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? Simply talking about her character, her tongue was always used in a proper way. People, as you read through the text, would travel far 
to come see her and to listen to her. She was a woman who used what God has <coughs> told her to use and God has commanded her in a very unique way, but all to His glory. To talk about God and His Word. You know, it's interesting, a couple of times in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 5, there is warning <coughs> against idle speaking, against gossip, against talking about things that you shouldn't talk about. But you have Deborah here talking about the Lord and His promises. She used her tongue in a proper way. <clears throat> in an influential way, she would lead God's people. Verses 4 and 5. Verse 5, she used to sit under the palm of, the De uh, of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. The people of Israel came up to her for judgment. And again in verse 7 of chapter 5, arising as that mother in Israel and encouraging the people, she was influential to the Lord's people. She had an incredible attitude, number 3, in daily, liver, uh, daily living. Verse 9 indicates an unwavering faith in God. When she calls up uh, uh, Jabin, when she calls him uh, sorry, uh, when she calls up Barak to, to go and fight against Jabin and against all of these people, against Sisera, she specifically says that, Jab uh, that, that uh, Barak uh, would have Sisera's head. But he's not going to go unless she goes too. Again, what happens when there's no tough to get going? I'll go, but, but you better come with me, Deborah, to this war zone, to this battle. She says, well, no, I, I don't know exactly what it will be like. But in faithfulness, she says, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Now, very easily, sounds like it's going to be Deborah that gets the glory. But it's not. She's willing to do whatever is necessary to strengthen and encourage others. And she is aware that her efforts are designed to help and encourage the Lord and his people. Uh, in fact, chapter 5 and verse 23, curse Meroz, says the angel of the Lord, cursed its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. She saw herself as help to the Lord, a servant. She also loved and cheered God. Verse 31 of chapter 5, so may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And she becomes a source of peace a source of peace and rest for Israel. The land had rest for 40 years. 40 years. Because of Deborah's faithfulness, because of Deborah's words, because of Deborah's actions. But it's all because of what God has done. 
Deborah simply said, a woman's going to get the glory. And a woman does, J.L. But when you compare Deborah to the other judges, it is really interesting. Ehud had to lie in order to murder Eglon. Gideon, he's introduced as the mighty man of valor, and yet you see him cowering underneath in a barrel and throwing up seed to hide from the armies. Gideon, a mighty man of valor, and he's down here in a barrel. Abimelech, the self-appointed leader who is characterized by murder, hatred, and arrogant pride. Jephthah, who at best ended any hope for a future for his daughter. And a lot of people believe he was a lot more Canaanite, a lot more pagan, if you will, in his actions. Samson, the he-man with a she-woman problem, who gave in to fits of anger, who refused to care about his duties concerning the Nazarite vow, who had to be blinded in order to be humbled and see clearly that his strength was from God. See, when we consider Deborah, we don't see anything like that mentioned. In the midst of a perverse and horrible time, there can be good people. And Deborah... Deborah was a great woman of God. She served God in faithfulness and humility. And she never took center stage. She's only mentioned here in Judges five and, uh, 4 and 5. She's not even listed in that Hebrews Hall of Faith, but we know from the text that's okay. She honored God and served, her, uh, served God in faithfulness and humility. We have in the example of Deborah, a woman of God who served faithfully in a terrible time of desperation. Thank God. Thank God for women who have the spirit of Deborah in faithfulness and humility and in service. Don't we have several ladies here who are mothers to us in a lot of ways? I know I'm not the only one who's been adopted by a lot of families here and encouraged and built up. And I'm so thankful that we have a, a lot of Deborah-spirited people here, a lot of Deborah-spirited ladies in particular who served the Lord in faithfulness and quietness and self-control, godly, in ways that honor Him. When God delivers, we can, because of Him, stand in awe. You realize the problem in Deborah's day was slavery to the Canaanites, but also to sin, And God delivers and he provides rest for 40 years. Christ frees us from the slavery of sin. 
and promises rest to all who would come to him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, for I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. The question this morning is a simple one. Because we know that it is God who we've sinned against, and it is God who delivers, and it is God who has given the way back to him. Can we help you come back to him? If so, come as we stand and sing this song.